Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, mi gente. It's your girl, Valise Jasmine, and welcome to Hello Latino. Today's guest is Karen Vasquez. She's from El Salvador, Central American love, and immigrated here to the U.S. at 13 years old. She's now an international speaker, entrepreneur, and author of Pepe and Paco Cross Country Adventure, which is a children's book published in Spanish and English. In our cafecito en chisme, she talks about living in El Salvador in un pueblito while her parents were in the U.S. trying to make a living for their family. And also talks about immigration, the realities of being an immigrant, and also touches a little bit on colorism. So, just a little background. Karen Vasquez DM'd me last year on IG and she told me she had been listening to HL. We connected over the phone. And after hearing just a little bit of her story, I knew I had to share it with all of you on this platform. So enjoy this conversation. Y tengan su cafecito listo. Listen to all your podcasts, except... I'm halfway done through the voting one, <laughs> but I've listened to all of your podcasts. <laughs> oh my God, my heart. Thank you. Gracias, gracias. And thank you for reaching out on Instagram too and introducing yourself. And I'm really excited to have this conversation. And I think it's really powerful when you listen to the episodes and you listen to the podcast and you're more inclined to also share your story. I think that's the powerful part. So. I'm really happy that you decided to share your story on here. <laughs> Thank you for giving me the opportunity. So I'm really excited. <laughs> yes. Alrighty. Well, let's jump in and let's start with the first question. You kind of know how these these questions roll, right? <laughs> Since you've heard yes. these, these episodes, but <laughs> let's start with the first question and it's how do you identify and why? Yeah, so I identified as Latina, Nacionalidad Salvadoreña, very proud Salvadoreña. Oh, very proud. And you were born in El Salvador, right? Born and raised till I was 13 years old uh, when my parents brought me to the U.S. I was 13 and um, I moved from a very small village uh, cerca de Oloquilta to um, a small town in Palmerton, Pennsylvania, <laughs> a cold mining town uh, where my brother and I were the first in the history of the school to uh, not speak English. Really? Mm-hmm. And how yeah. was that? <laughs> it was quite interesting. It was a learning experience for us as well as for, um, you know, all the other students and faculty at the school. Um, the The town is very small. The My parents did have another family who um, were of Puerto Rican, uh, Puerto Ricanos, Puerto Rican descent. Um, but they didn't have school children. So um, in the school, I believe there was another family 
that had um, a Latino last name, but they had been living there for several generations. I don't even think uh, they were first gens. Um, so it, it's quite interesting because um, it was a lot to learn from from them as well as for us. Uh, my parents um, had that opportunity through my dad's job to um, buy a home there. And that's a big deal, right? To be able to buy a home. Um, and so they did it. And, um, you know, it allowed me to uh, learn English. Um, it was that mentality of sink or swim, you know? Um, mm -hmm. Hay que echarle ganas, right? <laughs> De cualquier manera, dale. Exacto, cuando no hay opción. Um, yeah. Cuando no hay opción, eh, you don't have a choice. You just do it. Yeah. You don't know how you do it. You just do it. <laughs> right. And then you look back and you're like, wow, I'm so proud of myself. Like, como lo hice. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, wow. and a lot of times that can that is um, a positive, right? We can take it into... Uh, play it to our advantage because um, it doesn't allow fear when we know what to expect or we have some preconceived notion. Um, fear can play a role, you know, but when you don't know and you kind of just go for it, you're not anticipating anything. So in, in a way it, it helps. Um, but As, we, as I was trying to adapt, learn, assimilate, um, you know, after many years of living um, in an environment where I felt secluded, um, I started craving getting back to my roots and getting more in touch with who I truly am, you know. Yeah, and talk about that experience. I know we're kind of going into a different direction, but... Talk about that experience of going back to your roots, because I feel like a lot of people, a lot of first gens, a lot of immigrants, I think we do, a lot of us do assimilate, right? Y es un cuestión de, who am I? <laughs> And I need to rediscover who I am. I know I went through that. Like I was losing myself like completely. And then I, the reason that I started with this podcast was because I was finally getting back in touch with my Latinidad, siendo hondureña, you know, centroamericanas. <laughs> representando. Um, representando. Um, but yeah, I it was a mix of just wanting to touch back with my roots, touch back with my family, touch back with who I am to my core, you know. But talk about that experience for you. Like, ¿cómo fue eso? Like, how was it for you to go back and to go back to your roots? Yes. So, um there's so many things that you encounter, right? Because as an immigrant, you come here and your first job is to blend in, learn the culture, learn the language, right? It's not just about learning the language, but learning the culture. So um, as, as I, in that process, you're so invested, you have a goal in mind and that is to learn English and to learn it well. So, I'm very competitive and I knew that was my first goal. My parents told us, um, you know, you're brought here, you have this opportunity, um, you're here to be good, responsible citizens. Your, your job is to go to school, learn the language and make something of yourselves, whether it is to continue on with um, um, 
education in college, that is up to you. But right now, your um, job is to learn English and do well in high school, you know, because we came. Mm -hmm. La educación um, es todo, right? Exacto. Also for la comunidad. Mm -hmm. Exacto, porque, you know, where we come from, um, I came from um, my grandparents. Um, neither one of my biological grandparents knew how to read or write. Um, my mom got only the opportunity to go up to ninth grade and that was sixth grade. And then at night after having us, she would go to school just to get to her ninth grade. And my dad was the first in his family to graduate high school. So imagine that pressure of coming here and having this opportunity of a lifetime, the pressure that I felt, I, I had no option. I couldn't let them down, you know? Even though my parents said, you know, um, you have it till high school, we're here to support you. But if you decide to go to school after that, it's on you. You have to finance it yourself. Um, we can support you by, you know, you can still live at home, but the rest is up to you because that's just how we were taught, you know, just the fact of giving us the opportunity of coming to the U.S. and having the opportunity to have an education was was a gift in itself, a blessing, you know? Talk about like your your parents or your immigration story. So talk a little bit about that and then we can go into into your story and where you are now and more about your journey of finding yourself and connecting back with who you are. But just to kind of start from the beginning, like, you know, why did your parents come to the United States and how did you come to the United States? You know, to talk about those things. Yes. Um, so my immigration story is quite interesting because m the first time my dad ever migrated to the U.S., I was nine months old. And I believe he didn't come with the intention to stay. He came with the intention to work, save money, come back and um, for us to have something right. Um, El Salvador is well known that um, it suffered many, many years of um, civil war, 13 years, actually my entire lifespan that I lived there. Um, and if it wasn't for a civil war, it was some natural disaster, um, like um, earthquakes. So the people of El Salvador haven't had the opportunity up until now to breathe, you know, they're constant on survival and rebuilding mode because of what was going on. So that leads to no jobs, you know, poverty. Um, and therefore, my dad had to migrate and he came. Um, my dad always loved school and he his his goal was to have a, a job, you know, in a corner office. Um, he graduated as an accountant, you know, and he endured a lot of discrimination because of it, because back then, um, it was seen that uh, only girls, that was a girl's thing to do, to go to school and be clean and sit at a corner office. El machismo, no? Uh, oh, yeah. Was it was you? like, yes, because I come from a very rural area, right? And machismo is uh, the more, what was seen as success is how much land you have, how many heads of cattle do you own, right? Mm. Um, so... As children, um, you know, how much um, seeing that um, it was seen as hard labor is what makes you a man, what makes you strong, right? So mm. if you want to go to school, 
you know, that's for girls. That's the easy way out, you know. Wow. So he endured yeah. a lot of um, beatings <laughs> because he would want to go to school. Um, not, you know, this is by his older siblings, actually, um, because they because they would have to be, you know, they would have less people to work then. Right. So um, it doesn't make it OK, but then it gives you an understanding of the mentality. Right. So um, so there is that root of education. So my dad comes to the States. Um, I was nine months old and he mm -hmm. went back when I was four years old. So, of course, my mom had told me, you know, your dad is in the States, so on. But I've always been very headstrong, very independent. And when my dad came back, I was four. And I refused to call him dad. I was, I'm like, ese señor. <laughs> pues sí, no lo conociste. Yeah, that's so no, true. I was nine, nine months old. And uh, he came back and my mom was like, this is your dad. And I was, estaba tan apegada a mi mamá. Like, I would sleep between her legs, right? I was this little girl who I was, I was, and my mom was my everything, was my world. So all of a sudden, here comes my dad, you know, and mm -hmm. I refused. I was very protective of my mom and I would refuse to call him dad. Um, eventually I did, but then my dad comes back. At this time I'm four and, you know, the savings that they brought, we were able to build a modest home, the adobe. Uh, if on a, the little piece of land that my grandfather had uh, given to us as inheritance. And we lived modestly, you know, we sold, uh, we had cattle. Um, my mom and I sold charcoal at the farmer's market. You know, my mom and I used to make um, earrings out of buttons, you know, y los pintábamos con, con esmalte, uh, like uh, nail polish. And uh -huh. we would sell it. Nos rebuscábamos porque nos hemos rebuscado. We even attempted, um, my parents had um, una granja where we were going to raise chickens. Um, you know, yeah. the, the, cute, <laughs> the cute little chickens that you, that, you know, that you think of when you think of Easter, right? Like the fluffy yellow, uh, you know. Eh. So we tried, my parents tried everything. De todo. De, de todo, todo, de todo. And, and nothing was improving, you know. Nothing mm -hmm. was getting better. So at, I was six and a half and my parents then left again. This time, both of them left. And ¿Te quedaste? Sí. Mi hermano tenía siete años. Yo tenía seis años. So seven and six-year-old children, right? And they, the reason they left us was because they knew, especially my dad having come illegally the first time around, they knew all the dangers. Plus, they had worked hard to have a little home, you know. Um, even though it was a humble home, they decided us to leave us with family members. Um, and um, they came, and we didn't see them again. I didn't see my parents again for six years. So they left me at six years old. I didn't see them again until wow. I was 12. Yeah. <laughs> you hablabas con ellos, like, throughout those years? Yes and no, because this is in, you know, the 80s. So um, the mm. lack of communication. So we had, um, we would speak to them maybe twice a year. And we would have to go overnight to the city to be able to have a landline phone. Um, it was either at my aunt's house 
or there was, it's called Antel, which you would walk in and it was, um, you would go to this big desk and behind this big desk, I remember the, the walls were super high, the ceiling was super high and there were like five clocks with times of um, our, all over the world. And I remember as a little kid, you know, coming from a small village in un Canton, Canton La Esperanza, and I would come in, it was like a big world. And I remember specifically looking at the clocks and trying to understand that even that if it was daytime where I was, that it could be daytime someplace else. I, I just couldn't wrap that around my, my thinking, you know, my childhood thinking. And um, then you would go and it, it was... Um, they would call you would just stood in line it was long, it was a long long line long lines of people waiting and then you gave the information and it, whether i was with my uncle or my grandfather they give the information and then the lady over the intercom calls your name and tells you what little booth what little phone booth to go in and you would go in and you jam in there and you're like you know, the same, same questions. Uh, it wasn't a private <laughs> conversation. I'm in there with, you know, my family members all like a can of tuna, you know, trying to talk and they would pass you the phone and say, you know, hi, how are you? How's school going? Um, y hace caso, hace caso, make sure you behave. That was pretty much it. And then our other form of communication was through letters. And even though you would send the letters through Gigante Express. <laughs> Gigante Express. Yeah. Um, the letters would get lost. So I might be writing to my mom and dad and I may not get a letter or a response till months later, maybe three months, maybe longer. Some, you know, or the correspondence, it wouldn't coincide because some letters would get lost. It was very common because people would assume, oh, you know, it's going to the States or coming from the States, they must having something valuable in there and letters would get lost. So that communication was almost non-existent, right? So, um, so throughout those six years, then I find out, um, you know, the big news, you're going to be a big sister. So my parents had uh, my younger sister uh, while they were in the States. And we, my brother and I got to meet our sister when she was two years old. Wow. Yeah. You know, and, and it's beautiful that you're sharing this story because this, this isn't uncommon in a lot of immigrant cultures or immigrant families, right? And so I'm glad that you're sharing this narrative that hasn't been shared on this podcast before. And so thank <laughs> you. Thank you for bringing that. Thank you for being honest about it. And wow, I mean, that was your reality. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how was that for you throughout those six years? Or even, estabas bien pegada con tu mamá, ¿verdad? Like, ¿y cómo fue eso? Where it was like, este hombre entró, que es tu papá, y después se van otra vez. And they were like, what? Is he taking my mom? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ¿Y cómo, cómo fue esos años? Pues? Well, those, those six years were hell. I endure a lot of abuse, physical, emotional abuse, and I just missed my mom. And um, I have this label as the black sheep of the family because I'm outspoken, because I say there's some injustice and I speak up or, you know, atrevida. Um, and that was not, that's not looked as well in, in, 
in our culture. And just, I think, yeah. every culture, right? Uh, you're supposed to be quiet and submissive. I think that's still a bit, it's kind of in our subconscious, right? As a so- as society, period. But, you know, we're talking about 30 years ago. <laughs> in a rural area, right? In a rural area. And my mom always said, "There's, there, you have something there's something in you. There, there is a purpose for you here because you came into this world kicking, screaming, tirando patadas. She said she envisioned having, oh, I'm having a little girl. I'm going to put, you know, little burettes on and a pretty dress on. And I'm like completely opposite. Soy como un remolino. <laughs> I came, you know, and I'm competitive and, um, and if I was told you couldn't do something, I'd be like, oh, yeah, let me show you how to do it. Or or I wouldn't give up. Right. And, you know, my grand, my grandparents, my grandmother, especially and my mom, they would do their best to do my hair, you know, to put the earrings on. And I was like, I didn't care if they would put a dress on me. I'd be climbing a tree. Andaba toda sucia, toda chorreada, uh, toda mechuda, you know. Um, <laughs> and and I've embraced it for for so many years. I lived with that. I'm not feminine enough. I'm too outspoken. Hablas por los codos. All these things that I used to think were negative qualities have actually been like my greatest assets. You know, to uh, to help me succeed, to help me achieve my goals. So for those six years, because of that strength because of those qualities that I had, I was viewed as insolente, atrevida, malcriada, right? But if there was injustice, I wasn't going to stay quiet. And that's seen as, you know, no puede responderle a tus adultos, you know? And to an extent, yes, but at the same time, if there is injustice, you know, you want to speak up. So there was, there was a lot of bullying, a lot of bullying um, and a lot of verbal abuse. And when you're that young, you believe it. That's the sad part. Mm-hmm. You believe it. Yeah. I miss my mom terribly. And that, that's what's the difficult part. So at 10 years old, when I'm told that I'm going to be replaced, that's how I was, it was told to me. You're going to be replaced. And I hope that you're little, I hope that it's a girl. So you're replaced. And I hope que sea blanquita. And just the fact that she's going to be born in the States, she's going to be better than you. Ay. That's, how, um, that's how I was told about it. By a very mean person, right? Uh, but you know what? It's like, that's where I drew strength. That's where I've learned so much. That's where I've overcome so much. So I struggle with that a lot. Because I missed my mom. And as a child, all I wanted was my mom. But, mm-hmm. you know, it is those experiences that now allows me to be able to connect with other, be able to visit children in these impoverished areas. It doesn't matter what part of the world we identify. Yeah. I don't even have to talk to them just by looking at them. I know what it feels like to be told you're not worthy, to be told you're less than. And, Ay, amiga, un abrazo. <laughs> and to be un able... 
and to be able to overcome that. It's, you know, it's what makes me who I am, is what allows me to be able to connect and help others. Yeah. You know? Y ahora sos maciza, so. <laughs> You're like, yes, I am. <laughs> yes. You... Oh, wow. I mean, I mean that I, I can't imagine those six years and what all the things that you had to go through. And especially if you had to endure those, those other external things, right? The verbal and physical abuse. I can't imagine how much those six years shaped you into the person you are. Y después que pasó, you know, your parents came, tenías 12 años? Mm-hmm, 12 años. Then my parents came. December 29th of 1992. It was the best New Year's. Um, I'm sorry, December 29, 1991. Because it was oh, okay. yeah, 1991 and then 1992 was the best year in my childhood years. Aww. Because I had my mom back. Right, I had my mom back. I got to meet my little sister. It was weird. I'm not gonna lie. I have to be honest. It was odd, right? You just want your mom, but your mom left you when you were six, and and now I'm a preteen. There's now that I'm a mom myself. I'm able to reflect on that and understand how difficult it was, or how difficult it must have been for my mom. So. I'm able to reflect on that. I'm able to to know what the other side feels like. And now as a mom, be able to see my children and um, and understand, have a different perspective. So it was odd. You know, at first it was odd because it's like, oh, I have a sister, a little sister, cutest <laughs> thing. <laughs> she was the Elizabeth. Her name was Elizabeth. The cutest thing, right? And she was a toddler, so they're they're so cute at that age. So, but it was awkward to 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 comprehend. Well, I have always obviously I knew, but then to to get used to it, I guess, right? Um, and then I have a brother who's only a year older than me, so my parents came, my dad only stayed for about um, a week or two, and then he had to come back to work. So um, my mom, when she came to the States, um, she was detained at the border. So she had a record detained, but then released, right? She was allowed because she had a family member here in the States. And so when my parents applied to get their visas to get to become um, to get their green card, um, my dad didn't have that record, so the the lawyer was able to um, petition him, and my dad was able to get his um, his papers without having to exit the country. But my mom, because she was detained and she had a record, she was her penalty was that she had to live go leave the U.S. and then live outside the U.S. for an entire year before the government would grant her her interview to get her her visa yeah so but that was fantastic because my mom was back this is 1992 and she stayed with us my dad had to come back for work um, but my mom was there and it was amazing because since she was there and she knew this is temporary she was at home with us. Um, plus my little sister, um, she would take care of her and the house. So I could get, I would get to go to school and come home to a quick meal by my mom. So, but I remember at the beginning, I would 
be a bit of a, afraid. I never vocalized this or told her that, them this, but I would be afraid to come home and she wouldn't be there. Oh. So it was tough. But then once it was like synced in, she's here, she's with us. It was the best year, 1992, the best year to be able to enjoy, you know, my home country, to have my mom. It was amazing. And then um, at 13, we hear back that my mom has stayed outside the country for a whole year. And um, the U.S. Embassy in El Salvador, that's where we went for our interview. And it was a huge deal. Like, don't say this, don't say that, behave, mind your manners, because this is un gringo who's going to interview <laughs> you gringo. in your head, you know, of course. And the U.S. Embassy in El Salvador is the biggest in all Central America. It's huge. It's a, it's a, it's a big compound. It's, it's, you know, I come from a little village, right? Going to the oh, city wow, was yeah. a big deal. So I remember we were in line. We were there super early and we were in line outside because um, the line would form outside and it took a while to enter like the gated area. And we were in line and this is a very, you know, like the US, it has um, sidewalk with, you know, grass and trees and, and landscape. Yeah, so, <laughs> impresionada. you're like, what? <laughs> yes, just being there on the sidewalk, imagine. So we're in line and it, it's very obvious. You could spot me that I'm from un pueblo de un you know, canton. So we're in line and uh, behind us is another family that her, their social economic status is, is higher than ours. I, you could clearly tell, right? Um, for me, at least. And they were speaking English. And in that family, there was another teenage girl. So to me, esta chorreadita, right? I couldn't stop turning around así con la boca abierta. And my mom, and I remember my mom being so embarrassed and it hit me on, with the elbow. Me decía, you know, like, ¿qué va a decir la gente? Like, but how do you tell a child who never heard English being spoken, hey, don't look that way, don't stare, you know? When I could clearly see that in my head, you know, their, their social economic status, just the way they were dressed, the way they spoke, the fact that they were lighter skin, I just was so in awe. And I wanted to hear, I mean, this is another young teenage girl like me speaking English. And in my head, knowing that, you know, there's a possibility they give us a visa to go to the States. I, I just wanted to sit there and stare at her. And watch her speak yeah. English, you know? Just study but, her, yeah. <laughs> that was very much ingrained in my mind. <laughs> wow. And then how was your first, what was your first memory experience being in the U.S.? It was, um, my very first memory was in the plane because from the U.S., uh, we, hicimos uh, escala, we stopped um, in Miami, right? That was our layover. Um, so we stopped in Miami. So the crew, everybody spoke um, Spanish. You know, they look Latinos. 
the Las Aeromosas, the airlines tourists, the pilot, they all looked Latino. The crew was predominantly Latinos. So in the plane, I was just like, whoa, this is my first time getting on a plane. But then from Miami to Newark, the Newark airport in uh, New Jersey is where we came. Um, that was a whole different story. And I just remember we weren't sitting next to my mom. My brother and I, we were a couple seats away from her. And my brother is more quiet and shy. I'm not. So I remember they, they were asking us, what did we want it to eat? And the reason we got food is because I recognized the word chicken. So I said that. <laughs> I, I repeated. Oh, my chicken. gosh. Of course. <laughs> so um, I only knew maybe three, three, four words I probably knew. Might not pronounce them, them. Chicken was one of them. So I said chicken and uh, we got food. <laughs> so that was the very first. That was the very, you know, and just the fact that I was in U.S. soil that I was setting foot in the U.S., a country that everybody dreams about, a country that is, you know, the ideal for many, especially children in rural areas, right, where what we're exposed to is movies, postcards, just what we see. We form this idea in our head of rainbows and unicorns. <laughs> that was, that's what my thought was wow i'm just trying to i'm i'm like processing your whole story because it's so i'm just thinking there's so many people that go through it and the fact that you just remember these small moments throughout this whole journey that i think just are so i feel like i'm there with you like i feel like i'm in the plane just like with you sitting next to you as you're like chicken <laughs> or like these these little instances and one thing just for people listening, I, I did connect with you at one point many months ago. And you told me this story that stuck with me. And I think this is just you being a powerful storyteller and being so vulnerable, so open about your journey. But you talked about you were left at a bus stop with your brother. Mm -hmm. And from there, that perspective was I get Charlie Gana. <laughs> You're like, all right, well, I'm just gonna figure this out. And I remember that, I remember that like since we talked months ago, like that's been the one thing that I remembered about Karen Vasquez, you know, I'm just like, wow, like she was left at a bus stop when she was a preteen, when she was yeah. like a teenager, well, teenager, you weren't yeah. even a preteen, right? It was a school bus stop, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was, um, so we came, right? Um, and I was 13 and we were in the middle of the school year because it was January. Mm -hmm. So my brother and I were supposed to be going to ninth grade. And everybody thought we were twins because we were in the same school year, the same grade. Um, but it's because they put me to school very early on. So we came, mm -hmm. we were supposed to be going to eighth grade, but they tested us and they said, you're too young to be going to that grade. Plus you don't know the language. Plus the school didn't have a you know, ESL program. So they held us back and they said, Okay, you're going to go back to eighth grade, and your only job is to adapt to the culture. Just know where cl which class is next. Just learn to read the, the school schedule. Learn to know when the bell rings. You're supposed to go to lunch or social studies, you know? So, yeah. So that was, I remember it happened rather quickly. Maybe three weeks after we came, mm -hmm. we had to go to school right away. Right. And, and we come in the middle of winter. This is Pennsylvania. 
Oh yeah. Oh my God. I didn't even think of that. Yes. Santo. Oh my God. We were, um, and just for perspective for our listeners, um, Palmerton, Pennsylvania, the Lehigh Valley, we were only an hour from Philadelphia and an hour and a half uh, from New York City. The Poconos is is quite popular, and that was only about 45 uh, minutes from where I live in um, Blue Mountain, which is a ski resort, was literally like, I don't know, may, less than 10 miles from where my house. So it's cold. It's, it's cold. cold. <laughs> We get snow. <laughs> and in El Salvador? Nada. Not, it is not Tropical. cold. <laughs> Caliente. <laughs> Caliente, tropical. Yeah. yeah. Wow. How was that for you? Were you like, it was a well, shock. were you just like, it was a big shock. So, you know, we didn't, my parents have worked so hard and sacrificed so much to have this humble home that they purchased here in the States as a huge deal, right? Um, we live in a town that's quite safe. We lived on the This is very interesting um, for me, and I cherish it because it, going back to that sidewalk right outside the U.S. Embassy in El Salvador, our home, our, the main street of the town ended, and maybe another block of it. That's where it ended, and it was a fork on the road. And we would have to go right, and there was three houses from that fork on the road. But the fact that the sidewalk ended right before the fork on the road, right? That's where you saw the landscape. That's where you saw a sidewalk, right? I grew up with a dirt road, but there was no more sidewalk. But there was this little, it's kind of like a little island. It's like a little triangle. And that's where, and there was maybe about, I don't know, maybe eight houses, but that's where um, my home was. But it was after the sidewalk had ended from Main Street right? The symbolism of it. So we, it was safe, um, very safe, you know, but that's where the story goes back to my parents had to go to work, you know, nosotros Latino parents, they're working, they worked in construction. My Cambiadores. mom, exactly. Yeah. Sometimes even seven days a week, if you had to, if you had a house, mm -hmm. a job that you had to work, you go work. So my parents, you know, it was a, They had to go to work and they had to work at work really early because sometimes you have to work. You have to drive over an hour, two hours, three hours to the job site. So they couldn't wait to put us on the wait till the bus stop, the bus came for, <laughs> to put us on the bus and see you when you get home. No, you know, they they left home really early before the bus came. So they didn't know themselves. So they said the bus stop is someplace over there by that stop sign next to the post office. And we'll see you when we get home from work. See you. Wow. So, and that's how that yeah. story, you yes, know. Vida de migrante. You know, that's that's yeah. the life of a Latino too. Yeah. It's just, I get trabajar and, and yeah, I mean, being, and you were the oldest or the, your brother was oldest. My brother is a year older. So we're, you know, very close uh, in age. Yeah. yeah. And did you guys stay home with con la nena, the, your little sister? Yes. So my parents would go off to work. So when mom, my mom has worked as a seamstress, costurera, for many years, uh, at least 30 years. But when we, they first came, um, you know, the whole process of getting a job and so on, and my dad had a lot of work. My mom, ella trabajaba como un hombre, like in construction, right alongside with my dad. They did um, finishing work, uh, tapiar. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Después de los churroqueros. I know all these terms in Spanish, pero en inglés como de nada. Exacto. <laughs> Me va el pájaro que I'm like, I only hear these words in, in Spanish. Yeah, so the finish work, they say, when the, you put the tape on and the spackle, right? Entonces, uh -huh. eh, teníamos familiares, so, you know, an uncle had a crew, eran los churroqueros. Um, my, uh, my uncles and my dad was, they were experts. It, it's like an artwork in tapear. So they were the, the, the finished work after the el, el rock that had been put up. So my mom was just right along that, you know, you did what my brother who was 14, if there was no school, he would go. So I would be at home with my sister. Why? Because um, my sister was very little. So she was three, four years old. And then a job site, you know, if the inspector comes, there's no kids supposed to be here, right? Yeah, but um, yeah. my brother was 14, so we ha I had to stay home with my sister, taking care of my sister. And then I had they would come home late, exhausted. So my job was to cook dinner and have dinner ready. I wasn't the best cook at that wow. time. <laughs> But I had to have dinner ready. Yeah, my you're best. like, what? <laughs> no, I hope you and you're like, you're, I, I, you have to cook. <laughs> yeah, you just have to do it. Wow. Well, well, let's fast forward to to you now. So let's let's jump into our cafecito en chisme. Porque I, it's, again, thank you for sharing a beautiful story and sharing a story that I think so many people, so many immigrants, so many first gens can see themselves in. And I want to go into our cafecito and chisme because I kind of want to learn about you now. You're a mother to now second generation Latinos, mixed, well, mixed kids, mixed kids. First generation, first gen, since I wasn't born here. Um, ah, cierto, cierto. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm, I'm very curious from your perspective how that's been for you to raise first gens, to raise kids who are now, you know, de los Estados Unidos and have a different, a different lifestyle than you, especially because they are biracial, right? Yeah. They're mixed kids. Yes. Yeah. And here's where I wanted to take the opportunity to thank you for creating this podcast because um, listening to your podcast, I think it was the second one with your friend, Emily. And mm -hmm. you guys were talking about exactly that generation struggles and just your question on how do you identify yourself um, is it's amazing because nobody had ever asked me that so when you're asking in your podcast how do you identify yourself um, nobody had ever asked me but I always known why because I was born and raised in El Salvador and both of my parents are from there however fast forward to now I'm a mom, my husband is from the US, and now I have biracial children. And it made me think, how would my children identify them? Because I believe your, your friend Emily said that she had Mexican heritage and Filipino. Mm -hmm. She was biracial. And by, yes. So the reason I listen to your podcast is because you're bringing that new generation that's giving me an insight, it's giving me that knowledge And that point of view from the younger generation, helping me become a better parent. Oh, wow. Be yes. <laughs> that, so <Yeah>. you are, <laughs> you're doing so much through your podcast because it made me think. Um, and I've had this 
conversations with my children. However, there is not is age appropriate for my oldest, who's 14, but he just turned 14 this year. So it's starting to become topics that you can touch on and expand in more detail for my oldest. So Mm -hmm. these questions are coming up as a mother. So when I listen to that podcast of you and hearing you, a younger generation, ask those questions, right? My children are 50% Salvadoreños. And it's my job as a parent to teach them where I come from. How was I raised? Uh, my heritage. Because later on, it's going to be their decision on how they identify themselves. But my job mm-hmm. as a parent is to say, this is me. This is my heritage. This is where I come from. I feel like it's my responsibility. But then later on, they're going to become their own adults. And they're going to embrace what they're going to embrace through their experiences, you know, and appreciate that. So with that being said, after 23 years of living in Pennsylvania, I was feeling so isolated. I was starting to to lose even my Spanish because I didn't speak enough Spanish besides like, hola, como estas? Not in depth, right? All my vocabulary, I've learned it. I went to high school and college here. So all my adult vocabulary is in English. And even though I would teach my children um, Spanish, vocabulary words, English, I think in English, I do everything in English, work, and then my husband not being Latino, I only spoke English. And I had to make that conscientious decision to remind myself, oh, I'm only supposed to be speaking Spanish to my baby so he learns Spanish. But you would forget. You go about your day, and here I am in an area where there were Latinos, but but I just felt isolated, and I needed a change. And that's why four years ago, we decided to move to Texas. For me, and this soul-searching of getting back in touch with my roots, just a big change, um, it, it, it was a point to, um, just, I just, I was losing myself who I was. And if I'm losing myself, what am I going to teach my children? You know, and, uh, in those years, well, my children were very young, plus we didn't have the means to travel. So I hadn't visited El Salvador in 11 years. So that was also, you know, difficult. But then, you know, we've worked hard now. We're able to travel more. And now we visit El Salvador more. And I still have my grandfather, who just turned 95 years old. He still has a milpas. He still cultivates corn, yuca. He walks about, about three miles a day, easy, a couple miles a day. So now being able to take my children to El Salvador, and now they are 14 and 10 years old. And now they're old enough to remember those experiences. They know oh, who so beautiful. Mm-hmm, know who Papa Tomas is, and that's their great grandfather. I I love to refer to him as a Mayan warrior. You know, I've done my 23 and Me, so I'm 61 percent uh, Native American <laughs> of Mayan I descent. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and this is, you know, this is where I'm teaching my children. And they're having exposing them and exploring El Salvador and our culture and the language part. 
it's a struggle that that I carry. Like mm-hmm. the conversation has gotten to the point of they know how much it means to me. But it's mm-hmm. difficult because I remember my youngest Samuel, he was maybe six and said to me, but mommy, everything is in English. Why do I need to learn Spanish? It's like mm-hmm. stabbed to my heart, you know? And it's like La realidad de él is so different. Mm-hmm. And and then that's where me as a mom right? You start doubting yourself. Am I doing a good job? Am I doing the job I'm supposed to do? And it's that eye-opening experience. And um, you touch it a lot in your conversations here that there is some type of discrimination for that first gen, the first gen struggles that you talk about. Do they feel Latino enough because they don't speak the language well? And it makes me think because I'm like, I'm the parent. So I am making an extra effort of because it's not just learning the language, but the culture. It's not about being immersed in the language and being fluent in the language, but the traditions. That's what gives it value and the essence. I I even forgot the question, but I wanted to take that opportunity to thank you because yes. No, my heart. Thank you. Your conversations are are helping many. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for acknowledging that. Thank you for the kudos, the, <laughs> the, the gratitude. And, you know, with that, I receive it and thank you. But also big thank you to every single guest that I've had that has been so open to share their story, to share their their beauty in their own cultures, but also the adversities, the struggles, but the the triumphs, you know, the the overcoming of those barriers. And I think every single guest is a perfect depiction of what it's like to face these obstacles, but to just like break through them like nothing. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, with con todo el sufrimiento, los, los struggles, you know, all those things, they were able to overcome it because we have something very beautiful in our in our cultures that I think is so innate in us. And I think it comes from our ancestors. It comes from who we are. There's there's a sense of we know our value and we know we can do better and we're always chasing mm-hmm. las oportunidades, you know, we're chasing we're chasing more because we know we're capable of so much more. And we're always trying to push push forward, push our community forward, push our parents forward, push our cultura forward, like mm-hmm. adelante, you know. So mm-hmm. thank you. <laughs> but the question was <laughs> if you want to refresh if you want to refresh her, the question was, you know, how how is it being? And I, you did kind of touch on this, actually, but being a parent to first gens, how's that been for you, you know, being a, a parent? And also just talk about what you're doing now and what you're up to. This is the, mm-hmm. the cheese portion. We want to find out what you're, what you're doing <laughs> in, in life and la comunidad. So. Yes. So, um, you know. Graduated college and my first uh, career was uh, in physical therapy as a physical therapist assistant, Um, then continue on with my education and got my bachelor's in business administration and being a mom and raising two wonderful boys and learning so much with the experience of being a family of two separate cultures. Now I have these children, I'm, I'm raising my children who have this mixed heritage, and um, through my work, I've now I'm a published author, and my book, um, Pepe and Paco Cross Country Adventure, 
is about um, just a bucket list item that I had dreamed since a child to cross the U.S. Uh, in an RV. We went from California, San Diego, your area, <laughs> all the way to <laughs> all the way to Pennsylvania, where we used to live. Now, I promise, I'm tying all this together. <laughs> Um, oh, I'm, I love your storytelling. I'm just like, as you say. <laughs> so um, obviously the career, what I'm doing now in, in my family, it's all together. So, um, so I write this book and as I'm visiting all these iconic places, I learned so much history. And one of the places that we stopped um, was Chicago. Well, I've done so much research about Chicago because the book in the book, Pepe and Paco are my children. Their, their names are Thomas and Samuel. But again, I wanted to put that, Lati that Latinidad, right? The Latino stamp. And I wanted names that were Latinos and easy to say in both languages. So that's where Pepe and Paco are born, the, the protagonists of this adventures, right? This traveling adventures. So I began diving in and doing so much research on Chicago. When was it established? How did it become a metropolis? I mean, hours on end. I would have pull all-nighters just doing research after research documentaries. And I come to find that Irish helped build the city. And um, another spot that we stopped in was um, Notre Dame University, right? Notre Dame University the fighting Irish, right? Mm -hmm. However, the Notre Dame is French, the Notre Dame Cathedral, right? So in Notre Dame, the university was founded by French priests and the name of the university is French. So how come their football team is known as the fighting Irish? Wow. <laughs> okay. I never even thought, I mean, yeah. I didn't even know. So, through all this research, right, it's amazing how much we attract what we're seeking for without even realizing, right? This, the book even became not because I wanted to be an author. My dream was never to be an author. My dream as a child was always to just travel the world, right? So now I'm, be, I'm making this dream come true and having these experiences and getting to see these places. And as I'm seeing these places, I'm discovering this, this history. And um, my husband, love, uh, that's his favorite football team. So that was one of our stops. We had to stop at Notre Dame and through the research. And then I find out that the Irish, when they first came to the U.S., they migrated after the potato famine, right, in 1845 when it started. They were under the oppression of um, Britain. And because of the potato famine, they, over a million people die, and they have no option, but they start migrating. A large group of them come to the U.S. And who conquered the U.S.? Britain. And they're Protestant. Who, the Irish are Catholic. So when the Irish arrived here, they faced so much discrimination. And as I'm discovering this, and just picture me pulling all-nighters, coffee, you know, and it's like it, documentary after documentary, things of reading. Mm -hmm. And I come to this realization, which, you know, I, I say it with all the respect in the world. Um, I tell my husband, I said, 
did you know that your ancestors, I said, this, the Irish that migrated to the U.S., they were treated just as badly as the Latinos are being treated now because they were seen as, um, as um, ignorant, uneducated, and um, brute, right? They, they, everything was like, if you looked at them wrong, they're, you know, they would fight you. That's how they were portrayed. That's how they were seen, like wild and a bit savage, right? But look at where they were coming from. They were escaping hunger. Mm -hmm. They were escaping, you know, being under oppression. So they come here. I'm this realization, and I'm thinking, we can learn so much just from history. And here's my children, and I'm explaining this to them. Obviously, my oldest understands it. And I said, do you know the value, your heritage, in telling them this? Our Latino history right? And all that comes with it. And being a migrant and having to come here and being looked at that we're taking the jobs of others and we're doing the jobs that everybody else doesn't want. When years ago, those ancestors also had to face that, endure that yeah. and overcome it. <laughs> wow. A little history lesson. <laughs> A little history lesson. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, gracias. Muchas gracias. Thank you for again being on here and for telling us all of the things that you're doing and your story. It's it's all really powerful. It's all really beautiful. How can people, if they want to connect with you, how can they connect with you? Yes, um, I'm very active on Instagram, especially Instagram and, and Facebook. Uh, my name, Karen Vasquez O'Donnell and Pepe and Paco. PepeAndPaco.com, Pepe and Paco on Instagram and in Facebook. And um, for the book, it's published in Spanish and English, sold on Amazon. And for every, we've donated over 300 books now. We have uh, visited here in Chicago, here in Texas, El, Salvo, El Salvador. And um, I have plans. I had plans to visit Peru this year, but because of uh, the pandemic, you, I can't. So um, possibly next year. Uh, will revisit a school that I promised I would come back with books for those children in the small school. Um, they Spanish is their second language. They speak Quechua in the Andes in uh, about two hours from Cusco. Um, and we've also visited um, Costa Rica in the past, and um, hopefully there will be more opportunities. So um, with the sale of the books, is helping other children have books of their own. Mm, that's beautiful. <laughs> I'm just snaps, snaps, snaps to you. <laughs> but let's do our brindis, the last thing we do on the show, which you know. Aquí tengo mi cafecito, aunque es... Oh, look, that's so cute. It says El Salvador. Yeah. Your mug. Wow, that's beautiful. It's de barro, handmade, hand-painted, de barro. Oh, my God, it's beautiful. Yo quiero una. <laughs> oh, I sh oh I'll, well, next time I go, I'll, I'll get you one, and I'll ship it to you. Yes, but, um, That's my thing. Every place I visit, I like getting a mug because then I do a little me time. When I do coffee, I pick and say, oh, what coffee mug I want and try to remember the good memories from those places. <laughs> Oh, that's so. Oh, you are such a storyteller. You just natural, natural storyteller. I'm inspired by you. Um, but let's do a brindis with our cafecitos. Mine is mine is a plain red mug, <laughs> not as beautiful as your barro. But um, 
let's do a brindis. And what I, you know, you've listened to these episodes and what I want to do here is close with a cheers and manifest good for our, our Latinos out there, for our community. Um, and also, yeah, I'll give you an opportunity. Like, what do you want to cheers to and what do you want to manifest? Yes, to our future generations. May they be blessed with amazing opportunities and experiences and be able to just learn about the world and all the beautiful cultures out there. So cheers to our younger generations. <laughs> Muchas gracias. Thank y'all so much for tuning in and listening to Karen's story. See y'all next week for more Cafecito and Chisme and more Hello Latino Love. And make sure to connect with me in the meantime. Connect with me on IG at ojasmine with four A's, Twitter at odalisjasmine, and find me on LinkedIn. And check out my website, odalisjasmine.com. Con mucho amor, tu amiga Nureña. And make sure to stick around and hear from my sponsor and partner and friend, Chris Gates, co-founder of Rizon. Mi gente, what's up? This is Chris Gates. I had the pleasure of being Odalis' guest in the Cuba Through My Eyes episode of this amazing podcast. Today, I want to invite you to a free month's membership to my startup, Rizon. Founded by two first-gen Latinos, Rizon is like taking a Zumba class for your mental and emotional health. Our mission is to build humans from the inside out, and we help first-gen folks just like you to grow and to heal. So whether you're struggling with life's challenges or just thirsty for a community to help you grow, Rizon is for you. Every week, we create a space for mindful introspection in community. That's what you get when you mix mindfulness, journaling, coaching, and vulnerable conversations. It's a space to be seen authentically, to develop self-awareness and build inner skills alongside a group of inspiring peers. Our goal is to help you to tap into your own power consistently, to find perspective, clarity, and direction anytime you need it. Over the past two years, we've designed hundreds of experiences for our clients to do just this. These are entrepreneurs and young professionals who trace their roots to some 20 countries. Folks who, despite being brilliantly talented and looking like they got it all together from the outside, are working through some real life challenges. So join us. We'd like to invite every listener of this podcast to experience a Rise On membership for free for an entire month. That includes our weekly Rise On sessions, live and online plus on-demand mindfulness content and daily community support. To activate your free month Rizon membership, visit www.rizon.life. That's R-I-S-O-N dot L-I-F-E. Rizon.life. Mi gente, let's rise on. <laughs>